Saludos and salutations, Broncos country, and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I'm your host, Adan Diaz, and joining me as always to my right is at Richie Richie. Richie, how are you doing today, my friend? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Richie. Before we get uh, started with today's show, I just want to give out a couple of uh, a couple of announcements and also a shout out to the boss, Mondungus, for filling in from my spot uh, last week. You guys did a great job. You guys knocked it out of the park. And, you know, it was great. It was kind of weird seeing myself from the other side, you know, watching you guys while I was on vacation. But you guys knocked it out of the park. And you guys also set a world record, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of the longest syndicated episode of Broncos Talk. So congratulations to both of you guys. But with that being said, guys, just want to remind you that if you uh, like what you see here tonight, make sure you subscribe, hit that thumbs up button wherever you're watching us on social media. And Broncos, the reminder that Broncos Talk goes live every single Tuesday at 7654. We also have our flagship show, the MHRT podcast, which broadcasts at the exact same time, 7654. And we also have the Nothing Rhymes With podcast on Fridays that also airs at 7654. And then we also have the brand new show, The Neighborhood. It's the pregame show that airs just before every single Broncos game. Now, keep note, guys, that because this is the Broncos bye week, there will not be uh, a pregame show this week, so keep that in mind. But we will have a brand new episode for you guys next week when the Broncos come back to work and they play against the Chargers. So with that being said, Rich, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, you and I talked about this before the show. We were kind of hoping to start today's show, you know, coming in, revved up, hyped up. I know I, I let me tell you something. Everybody was hyped up. I was at the Cowboys game, and even though a lot of people were talking smack and you know saying that the Broncos were going to get whooped or whatever, they went in there. Broncos country represented, and it was a whole totally out- different outcome. The energy inside that stadium was amazing, and it was the exact same energy that everybody brought to Mile High this past Sunday. And unfortunately, against the team that the Broncos should have won or beat uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles, it didn't turn out that way. And everything that we feared happened, what happened against the Cowboys, just it kind of flip-flopped and it happened against the Eagles. And that's a really bad thing, Rich, because the Eagles are a team that the Broncos were supposed to win. And not just at home, mind you, but just in, in general, you know, we thought that we finally got to, you know, turn a page and see a different side of the Broncos, basically the side that we wanted to see since week one. But we didn't see uh, this past Sunday and heading into the bye week, Rich, I think that's going to set off more more issues and more worries than, you know, calm, cooler heads. Yeah, I mean, what what the real issue is for me ultimately was that we we changed our game. So we came out of the Cowboys game and saw what worked. We we played uh, heavier tight end sets. Uh, we mixed it up on the defensive line in order to stop a run game, and we played well, uh, really well, actually, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, on both on almost all three sides of the you know three phases of the game. At the very least, we at least played really well on both the offensive defense, which is you know arguably the two most important. Although special teams can really lose you a game if you stink it up, so uh, we moved into the Eagles game, and and I personally expected that that Shermer, and then you know even though he was on the COVID list, would have at least had a, an initial game plan uh, put out that simply would have just written on his notes and said do this against the Eagles basically as an offensive game plan, and I would have expected both Fangio and uh, Donatel to come into this game and say, well, hey, 
what worked against the Cowboys is likely going to work about the, the division, you know, rivals and the Eagles. At least let's start off the game that way to clog up the run lanes and 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 really, you know, do right by our team. Uh, needless to say, both sides of the ball decided to play to the Eagles as opposed to play to the Broncos and force the Eagles to to kind of overcome what we were putting in front of them. And as a result, we absolutely just got spanked. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with you there, Rich. And it's it's really disappointing when you think about it because when you look at our division right now, the Broncos were one of the very few teams that a lot of analysts at the beginning of the season were slated to make a run for the division, you know, give the Chiefs a run for their money. And so far in the very first half of the season, Rich, the Broncos have just been a roller coaster ride up and down, up and down, up and down. And the crazy thing about it is even going into our bye week, we're still in the very thick of things. Even if the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Chargers win their games next week, the Broncos are still mathematically in the run to win that division. So, yeah. uh, and what the reason I say that is because as soon as the Broncos lost that game, a lot of people kind of started regressing back to that toxicity that I really hate seeing in Broncos country, which is, you know, fire Vic Fangio, fire Pat Shermer. Even though Pat Shermer wasn't at the game, people still wanted him to be fired for some reason. <laughs> you know, fire Tim McMahon, uh, Tom McMahon, I mean. That one, I, I can agree. I've been on board from that one but the beginning. But I'm going to reiterate something that I've talked about and I've said before on the show, that right now, firing the head coach especially, to, uh, you know, Pat Shermer is one thing. But if you fire Vic Fangio at this point in time, you're basically telling everybody in that locker room that the season is lost. Right, exactly. So, yeah, And you don't want to do that. You know, a, a lot of people criticize George Payton for how he handled the situation with Von Miller and, you know, bring him bringing in Kenny Young and Stephen Weatherly. So with those guys being added, we cannot give up on this team yet until the Broncos are legit, you know, technically mathematically eliminated and there's no chance for them to make the postseason, which even so, I don't think I don't see them making any drastic moves. I'll probably wait until the end of the season for Black Monday especially with one more game being added this season. So a lot can still happen in the second half, guys. If the if the Cowboys, if the Broncos can go out and beat a team like the Cowboys, we can only hope that this loss was just a fluke and that the Broncos can kind of get their stuff together in this bye week, you know, rejuvenate themselves, heal up, you know, kind of brainstorm and just come back and have a better, strong second half. And, you know, to bring up a, a, a good point, Look at the Bucs last season. Last season, the Bucs started off really poorly. They went into their bye week. They came out, and then they came out, you know, all cylinders firing. And then, you know, they made it all the way and won the Super Bowl. So let's not give up on, on this team yet, guys. I know everybody should be pissed off. You know, we're going to talk about the whole Teddy Bridgewater situation and the, uh, the Mike Shula plays and everything. But we have to remember that even though this team lost, they are far from out of it. And as much as we want to sit here and blame and point fingers at whose fault and whose fault and whose fault, at the end of the day, you can blame whoever you want, but we have to kind of find a try to way to find a way to win because this season is far from over yet. Right. The only pushback I'm going to have on that is if we are mathematically eliminated as a team, we may consider firing the coaches that we absolutely just 
say you're done. Like we don't want to, we don't want you here anymore. And and I think ultimately that could be someone like Tom McMahon, where we might promote maybe his coordinator to see what they can do, and maybe they're uh, you know a better option for us. Uh, and then the other option there for for us is that we've now seen Shula and we've seen Shermer. We're going to get into that a little bit later in terms of what we saw offensively and and whatnot for our team. However, what might be interesting is to say, hey, can, say, Mike Munchak step up as a better offensive coordinator? Because we do know he has an offensive prowess to him as well. And there's a legitimate possibility that if he steps in and, say, wins out the season, although that will really tank our draft options, but if he does step in and win out the season, one, I think it'll show that um, the Elway and Peyton kind of control over who starts and who stays and all that kind of stuff uh, was clearly a broken model. And and B, I think it'll show that we should have made that change likely earlier in the season because if Munchak can do that with our player personnel that we have on our team with the roster that we have right now and win, that just shows that we were not adapting properly. And I totally agree with you there. And, you know, as I pulled up some of the comments while you were talking here, Rich, there's a lot of people in Broncos country that agree. And I actually want to address uh, Dave Glassman, who says the last time I checked, we don't have Tom Brady, which is true. We don't. But what we what we desperately needed is somebody had that had leadership like Tom Brady. See, the thing that makes Tom Brady such a really great quarterback, aside from his Super Bowl wins, is the fact that he can implore his leadership on that team. You know, granted, he has really great weapons and that Bucks deep, uh, offense, but that's exactly what Peyton Manning did when he came to Denver back in 2012. He came because his leadership made that offense even better. His play calling, his, uh, you know, his audibles, everything that Peyton Manning did for the team from 2012 to 2015 was just amazing. And if you go back and watch it, just watch how Peyton Manning works, how his mind works was just amazing. And if it wasn't for that, you know, that surgical procedure that unfortunately just took away any future he had with the with the Broncos, we would have gotten more years out of Peyton Manning. And who knows, maybe still to this day, we could still be seeing, you know, Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady throwing the ball and still having uh, matches against each other. But uh, with that being said, guys, let's talk about a, a little bit more about the game. Jump in there just if you don't mind. No, please. So the, the, the problem – so what makes – what makes Tom Brady so unique is his ability to read defenses because he's basically seen it all at this point in his career. I mean, he, he's been playing forever. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of football years, um, you know, he, he's basically half mummy. Um, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's cool. But uh, Tom Brady's seen it all. And what makes Tom Brady so unique is his ability to uh, interpret and, and read the defense and make the plays and dissect it and get the ball out quickly. Tom Brady's also somewhat unique in the fact that he is – clearly aging and old, but he hasn't really lost a ton of velocity on the football. In fact, some even argue, and and I actually made a comment at the beginning of this season, at least that I actually thought that he was throwing the ball harder than I've seen in years past, which, you know, is completely flipped on its turn on its head for an old, an older quarterback like that. Now, conversely, when we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater and what we've seen from Teddy Bridgewater uh, this year uh, and just in general, and if I can just uh, kind of pull up, say, what uh, Dave uh, has pulled up there in terms of uh, proved he isn't a leader and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I actually agree. And that was a comment that I made, I, I believe, in, in our group chat or I at least made on Twitter to a couple people as well, is when you do something what Teddy did there, 
you're you've immediately lost the trust of the locker room. And what's really really interesting is when you see Cliss's uh, tweets, uh, Mike Cliss on Twitter, is he's trying so hard not to just come out and say that. And so he's he's taking a tweet that should be exactly as long as what Dave Glassman just put out there in like two lines. And he's made it a novel and a half on Twitter, which he's just banking that so so many people on Twitter want to see two line tweets that they're just going to skim over it and ignore it. But <laughs> I read it and he was like, you know, he's got a long way to go. He's going to eventually get back there. And, you know, he's he's already made the first step by admitting that he was wrong. And so if you read through all the lines there, basically the locker room is pretty pissed off the fact that he did that. Fangio called him out in the middle of a meeting and he has proven as a leader that he is not willing to put himself in harm's way to help the team win. And yet we've seen so many other Broncos players do so. Look at our injury report in terms of who's on IR. Every single one of those players was willing to put themselves into harm's way to try and get the Broncos to win. They paid the price for it. And now you have active players on the roster who's watching their leader on the team, watch a guy go by him and then, his effort was he leaned his shoulder in, you know, what, five inches to push him inside to allow someone else to make the tackle. That's unacceptable. Yeah, and that's actually a great segue into the point I was going to make, Rich, and you beat me to it. So great minds think alike. Uh, you know, and this is a topic that's been all over Broncos country for the last two days. And it's really I mean, Broncos country has always been divided on a lot of issues, Rich. But I believe that this is one where. You know, no matter where you stand, there's no right or wrong because, as as you said, I mean, I've watched that play so many times. And, you know, in, in our group chats, we, we've had heated discussions as to where we feel Bridgewater should have done. Now, while me personally, I don't feel that Bridgewater should have dove. But I believe he should have done something else in terms of, you know, stick an arm out, try to, you know, push the guy that was pushing him. Try to what do I something. said is I want Bridgewater in his way. Yeah. Try so to you, do so something. He, he had an angle to run to run yeah. in front of him. That play. slows him down from making it all the way and doing that cutback, which ultimately mm -hmm. allowed him to make the touchdown, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is what my point was is that to, and sort of kind of interject, but you have basically two options there if you're Teddy Bridgewater. Or actually three he he opted for door number three which is the absolute wrong choice but he had really three options one was tackle him outright which i actually can agree that that is a risk reward scenario which may not be the best option for both him and the team i can appreciate the potential of not making that play although it certainly would have been a statement move and mm -hmm. if you want your team to rally if you tackle the guy and prevent a pick six i can guarantee you the entire bench is getting cleared and you have a different outcome in the game probably because your team is now riled behind you. Now the other alternative, which is kind of more in the middle, we'll call him steady Teddy and you call him that for a reason. So you, you expect somewhere in the middle, which would be exactly what I just said. Jump in front of him, put your body in the way and force him to go around you. That slows him down and enables guys like Melvin Gordon, Tim Patrick, who by the way, booked it from all the way in the very back end of the, uh, of the field there to try and catch him. A guy like Tim Patrick will absolutely catch up to a guy like uh, uh, like Slay there if he's being slowed down and having to run around a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, and you know the reason I I don't cut Teddy Bridgewater any slack is because I mean think about it, Rich. What do the punters have to do every single time they punt the ball? 
Yep. If if the person if the person getting getting the ball is coming right at them, and the punter does what Teddy Bridgewater does, they don't have a job the next day, or mm-hmm. they or they get chewed out. They've put and we've seen a bunch of times they've put their bodies on the line, and they're not guys that are meant to take that type of hit. You know, punters are kind of like quarterbacks. They have thinner frames. They're they're not big guys. They're not meant to take hits, but they put themselves out on the way to prevent the opposing team from scoring a touchdown. So the whole thing with Bridgewater is as the leader, as we keep saying, he should have done something where even if he didn't stop Darius Slay himself, he should have made an attempt. And to me, what I think was going through his head was he was probably thinking that, oh, maybe Melvin Gordon's knee was down. Maybe there was a flag called. Maybe there was a something called where he didn't need to go out and you know put his body on the line and possibly get injured. Because when you see that playback and you look that's at the, it, I that's mean, the business decision. Yeah, that's the business decision. That's and the business the, decision. And I it's don't a really do bad one. It might, I might, I don't know. You're yeah. a football player. Yeah, and it's, really, and it's really bad. And I'm pretty sure when he was sitting there talking to the press and they're, they're asking him about it, and I'm pretty sure he's seen that replay, Rich. There is no way in hell that man has not seen that play oh, no, go down. Fan, Fangio played it the someone. next day for the team. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and 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 Teddy's play was 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 for all to one. see. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's it's just really, really bad. It's really bad for Bridgewater because I mean a lot of people were still I could I, I'm telling you, I feel like he won a lot of people over in that Dallas game because he went out there and did what nobody expected him to do. And then when you go into this Philly game at home and you expect to see that same caliber of gameplay and you know put that out on the field and you get regression you get even worse and then you add that on top of that that's not really the type of guy you want to hand the franchise keys over and say here you're the guy to to lead this team into the promised land and i think i think the underlying tone there uh, is you were basically staying there but if i can take over the word that was touted from the dallas game Mm -hmm. was we saw the broncos put forth legitimate effort true effort you could visually see it on the field there was urgency and there was effort and then when you saw a play like that from teddy bridgewater when the game was still well within our grasp if if we had stopped them or or i mean we were we were on our way to potentially score there so uh you know we had a a real missed opportunity as a result of that fumble and he did nothing yeah he did absolutely nothing. And, and so I, that was a lack of effort, which is in direct contrast to the praise that he and the entire team had received all week. And I think that has partially contributed to so many of the fans flipping. They went right from, from okay, you know, I think we've got this. I think there's a, a path forward for us, et cetera, et cetera. And then now you have the complete flip side 180 of what are you doing what is wrong with you? Did you not listen to, you know, the general fans? Did you not listen to the praise that you were getting for effort? At least show it. If he tried to tackle him and couldn't bring him down or something like that, people are going to say, dude, at least you tried. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a quarterback. We don't necessarily expect you to be a linebacker. So, I mean, that's cool, but at least you tried. And instead, what did we get from Teddy? Nothing. Exactly. And you know what? Yeah. A friend of mine actually pointed it out. Uh, to when he saw that play of what he thought of, I don't know if you ever seen the the movie Spider Man, uh, but in the scene where he gets paid and the mugger runs out of the guy's office, and Tobey Maguire just kind of stands to the side and lets the mugger run past. Yeah, him. yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what he compared it to. And I, I mean, I thought it was so stupid, but I started laughing because I was like, when I thought about, it, I'm like, well, that's actually he's not far off. He's not far off. So, <laughs> you know, even even though that even though that went a whole totally different way, but yeah. like the comparison is it's actually like it's so true and it's so close to being true that it's well, if if I can even hilarious. commandeer your your buddy's comparison there mm-hmm. in in Teddy's post game presser. He made a comment saying, I was just trying to steer him inbound so that somebody else could make the tackle. In that Spider-Man movie, which I am familiar with, uh, he said, well, it's not my problem. Yeah. Right? Do you remember? That was that was his quote in the movie. Well, it's not my problem. problem. So I, I would have to say your your friend is pretty much bang on in his <laughs> reference. And and uh, let's let's give him a shout out for uh, I, I think the best the best correlation that we've been able to find to the Teddy Bridgewater uh, uh, no tackle or, or no effort. Yeah. Shout out to you, Julius, for making that hilarious comment to me yesterday. Uh, but, you know, and that kind of drives us or drives us or takes us into the next point about Teddy Bridgewater. And that's the gameplay. And this is something that you and I talked about uh, before we went live, Rich. Yes. And basically Teddy Bridgewater kind of regressed and going back into the check down version of himself. And as much as I want to, I don't know if it was him or if it was, you know, the fact that it's a Mike Shula uh, uh, type of offense, because I kept having to remind myself, you know, this isn't Pat Shermer calling the plays. This is Mike Shula. So while the running game did improve under Mike Shula, I will give him that. The I, I, I don't know if it was Teddy Bridgewater making those calls, but I want to say that I think it is because even when Pat Shermer was calling the plays, this is the type of Teddy Bridgewater we saw in the preseason, and that had us all a little bit worried going into the offseason, saying we cannot keep going and doing all these checkdowns constantly and expecting to you know move the ball. So. Right. Uh, to me, that that was really disappointing in seeing Teddy Bridgewater not letting the ball fly and not taking chances. You know, there was somebody on Twitter that says your wide receivers are literally taller than the cornerbacks covering them, and you're not giving them a chance to make a play for the ball. You know, you know, Corlin Sun's a tall guy. Tim Patrick is a tall guy. No offense, he might not be the tallest guy, but he's a big guy, and he can more than always go for the ball if you put it where you need to be. So for me, I think that Teddy Bridgewater took a giant step backwards in that regard against this Philadelphia defense. So I have a, a question on this one. Uh, Jay Bryan, I really appreciate you uh, coming in here and uh, lots of comments, love the chat, uh, really encourage you guys to volley back and forth and we'll pull some of the comments in uh, when it makes sense to do so and, and try to engage there as well. Uh, he says that being there instead of TV, it was obvious Teddy doesn't trust his throws to wide receivers. I have a question to you on that one because uh, I think that's certainly one angle to take on that. The other question I have for you is, is that also potentially Teddy not trusting his offensive line? We saw a fair amount of pressure, particularly from the left-hand side of the line where Reisner was and Cushenberry. The Eagles have a very good defensive front. Uh, Anderson had a couple issues, but by and large, I still thought he did okay. I, he wasn't awful, but he wasn't great. Um, he certainly wasn't as good as he was against the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys have a slightly smaller defensive front than the Philadelphia Eagles, so that may have had something to do with it. Whereas, I don't know if you guys saw from the Dallas game, Anderson actually tripped and still blocked his guy from his knees. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, 
that that had me come up out of my off the couch and just saying, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so um, when you looked at the Eagles game, uh, the left hand side of our offensive line really did struggle quite a bit, whereas we had the right hand side of our offensive line that was seemingly doing much better, and we also had the pulling guard of Quinn Miners when we were running to the left where he would sweep around and that seemed to make all the difference in the world. So the question is, do you think that's the wide receivers or do you think that was the offensive line or could it just be a combination of both? I really don't want to say it was the offensive line rich, to be honest with you, because the Broncos actually struggled more against the defense against the Dallas defensive line where the Dallas, the Cowboys had what four sacks on the day versus this one uh, against Philadelphia. I think Bridgewater only got sacked once maybe. Uh, I can't think up off the top of my head, but he didn't get he might have gotten hit, but he didn't get sacked as much as he did against the Dallas line. And like like we keep saying, Rich, the Philadelphia front defensive line is very good. I mean, they have Fletcher Cox, they have uh, Hargrave and I forget the name of the other big guy that they have on there. So while they didn't always get in heart, was it heart Hargraves? Yeah, Hargrave. Yeah, was it Hargraves? I think it was Hargraves. No. Yeah. 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 So and while they always didn't get home to bridgewater they always did enough but you guys got to remember that bridgewater is one of the quarterbacks in the league that leads in time of possession with the ball which means he is one of the quarterbacks that holds the ball the longest in the pocket so the time to throw is there the bad thing is is that either he's not reading his plays or he's not making them or he tries to scramble in between the the, the linemen. And, and, you know, every time you see any quarterback, you know, scrambling with the ball, you always hesitate. You always hold your breath because you don't know if they're going to slide. You don't know if they're going to dive. Or you don't know that even if they do slide, that somebody's going to come from behind and hit them and concuss them and they get hurt. So while it's not always encouraged for quarterbacks to scramble and run, uh, you want to see some type of play from Teddy Bridgewater. And with that being said, guys, I also want to say that for those of you that are calling for uh, Bridgewater to be benched, or there were some that even said that the Broncos should have considered trading him back to the Saints before the trade deadline and bringing in Drew Locke. As much as I love Drew Locke, you have to face it. Drew Locke is not the, this isn't 2019. He's not going to come in like he did for Joe Flacco and, you know, blow the doors open and, that's that's just that's just not how it's it's going to happen. As much well, as I you also have to remember, we don't have the same def- uh, offensive coordinator either. So yeah. Drew Locke was brought in to run what it appears, at least, was the Rick Scangarello slash Shanahan ish esque style offense. Mm-hmm. We simply just don't have the offensive play callers on the Denver Broncos who call plays that are like that. That being said, we do have a few plays that are very similar in that general vein uh, with the pulling guards that we've seen as of late in the last two games. Both the Dallas and the Eagles game had a couple plays like that. Problem is we're just not calling them frequently enough. And therefore, some of our guards like, um, well, Graham Glasgow is now out for the year, but uh, uh, he was really struggling in in particularly in the run game uh, when he was going kind of one-on-one. And then uh, – Dalton Reisner's really, really had a, 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 he's really struggled this year. Uh, however, when you're now seeing him pull, you know, like I was saying, Quinn Miners, when you're seeing him pull and go in motion like that, he is actually performing much, much better. Um, I did want to quickly uh, pull up here, um, JB. Uh, I really do appreciate you making your comments. So uh, please, uh, I, I would prefer that you don't shut up because I, I really enjoy reading them. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's awesome to kind of see the, the banter back and forth in the chat. So I, I really do encourage you to 
keep commenting and, and, you know, pick apart what I'm saying and, and what six foot 10 uh, saying here. Uh, really, really enjoy your participation. Uh, the other thing that I will say, uh, and I, I actually want your take on this uh, six foot 10, mm-hmm. you made a comment earlier, but we already know what drew luck is and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as it pertains to Teddy and, and how he was doing. Here's my question for you then. If Teddy has all that time to throw and he is not throwing his receivers open, because clearly there's going to be at least one or two throws normally on every play where you can throw your receivers open. And since that was one of the biggest knocks on Drew Locke, and on top of that, since we're also hearing Teddy uh, struggling to uh, throw fast enough balls to make it downfield without floating them a little bit, would you not think that at this point of the season – you may as well see what you have in Drew Locke after learning a little bit under Teddy, given the fact that he's different and he well, has some of the things. Basically, Drew has a lot of the things that Teddy doesn't. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And that actually brings up the point that we have from our good friend Dave Glassman here, who says, at this point, we have nothing to lose. Let's see if Drew has progressed so that we can plan for the future. And while there is some truth to that, I have to kind of disagree with that because – the re- the only way you can say we have nothing to lose is if the Broncos are officially eliminated from postseason contention. And at this point, they are not. And like I just restated to you earlier, while I do love Drew Locke, I love what he's done with the team the last two, three years he's been here. But at this point, he's officially been dubbed the backup quarterback. And that's just really what he is. If you start Drew Locke against the Chargers next week, I don't really think you're going to see an improvement. And by improvement, it's like, yeah, he has a stronger arm than Teddy Bridgewater. There's no doubt about that. But what are the chances that we're not going to see the the Drew Locke from last year where he just throws the ball and the interception numbers go up and then people start complaining, you know, bench Drew Locke. So I don't think that him – and Drew Locke had his chance. That Baltimore Ravens game where he came in for Teddy Bridgewater, that was Julak's chance to come in and say, hey, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm bringing to the table. You guys made a mistake benching me. That was his chance. And for two quarters, he could not get – I don't even think the Broncos got into the red zone, if I'm not mistaken. In that they game. didn't, but I'm going to push back a little bit on that one as well. We also did not go into heavy sets. We did not go into 12 personnel. We kept in the three wide sets. Uh, everything is about so here and and I'll explain kind of why I think that matters. Look at Mac Jones with the new England Patriots this year. Mm -hmm. They have tailored an offense to surround him and, and play to his strengths, minimize his weaknesses, and more importantly, leverage the overall strengths on their roster. There's a reason why new England is kind of sneaky good this year, but they're kind of, they're very much being overshadowed just because Buffalo is, is the new 800 pound gorilla in their division right now. Right. With Josh Allen, that being said, when you look at what they're doing in new England, it is pretty darn good. And they have a pretty good record as a result. So that's what you do when you have a quarterback and you build around them, you build a scheme to fit the players that you have on your team. Whereas when you look at what we did with drew lock, when he stepped in for Teddy Bridgewater, we didn't alter our offense. We didn't, modify our offensive scheme to fit drew Locke's strengths we didn't have the you know flanking tight ends on the other on on the other side of the tackles to help them out with pass protection and give drew a little bit more time to process what's on the field because that has in fact been an issue with drew lock which is processing time he takes longer to process whereas teddy processes faster but then he's less 
he's more risk averse than Drew, whereas Drew is more risk taker, which is why we saw more uh, interceptions from him. So you just hope that Drew at this stage in his career has developed a little bit more so that he can understand more of what he's seeing so that when he takes those risks, they are more calculated than they were last year. Well, and another reason I don't think the Broncos, especially George Payton, are going to bench Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke is just for the simple fact that Teddy Bridgewater was one of the very first acquisitions that George Payton made in the offseason. So the Broncos gave up not a huge amount of money, but they're paying Bridgewater more than they're paying Drew Locke. And if Drew and if uh, Teddy Bridgewater isn't hurt, then there's really no point in paying Bridgewater that much money for him to ride the bench. Now, while his gameplay hasn't been, you know, like Zach Wilson terrible, it it's kind of just like he's had some ups and he had some downs. And I'm willing to bet that unless Bridgewater gets seriously hurts again, gets hurt again, where they have no choice but to start Drew Lock, that's the only way we're going to see Drew Lock hit the field. Not as a, if he comes in as a starter, it's because Teddy Bridgewater can't go. And we saw what happened in the Cleveland game, Rich. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater should not have started in that game. I mean, he was beat up from that game against uh, the Steelers. And yet, in only four days rest, the coaching staff decided to put Bridgewater out there limping and not at 100%. I'd like to to include leadership in that decision as well. Uh, George Payton, Vic Fangio. I I just want to include all of them in that because I think that they would have all had to say in, in what happened and who played, especially since you're talking about uh, your starting quarterback, and I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes there because I think on many teams, uh, Teddy would, would probably be a backup, a darn good one, don't get me wrong, but I think on many teams he would be a backup because I think people would see a ceiling with him. So I, I just, I, I still think that that the scheme that you put around a quarterback matters. I still think that the people that you have on your roster are perhaps the most critical in that situation. And if you're trying to play a scheme that does not suit the players that you have on the team and you're not playing a scheme that suits the quarterback that is under center, then you're going to lose. I mean, it's just as simple as that. You're going to lose. And um, if I can just kind of go into a little bit here uh, in terms of what I saw in the Eagles game, I I do have a handful of notes. I have about a page and a half here in front of me. I'm not going to go into all of them, just the the first little clip here, which is against the Eagles – um, can, this is in direct uh, contrast, actually, to the Cowboys game. Um, we played in three wide receiver sets in the first half uh, 14 times in terms of uh, snaps. And I'm including the ones that we got called penalties back because we actually then doubled down and just played the same play again um, in every single instance I watched. Um, so, <laughs> um, which is, I, I laughed, but I, I actually made a note of that and I said, we didn't change. <laughs> um, and then uh, in the uh, two tight end packages uh, or 12 personnel, uh, we played in that seven times. So, uh, and if you want to compare to what we did against the Cowboys when we were really successful as a team, um, those numbers were kind of closer to say something more along the lines of uh, 12 to nine or uh, 11 to 10, where it was like a 45, 45% in the, um, uh, for sorry, 45% in the uh, two tight end sets and 55% out of the three wide sets. And that allowed us to get better protection for our quarterback. We were able to let plays develop further downfield. Uh, JB, I really do uh, appreciate your comment earlier about 
Uh, Shermer and Shula both liking kind of longer wide receiver routes. They do take some time to develop. So if you give your quarterback more time to throw, uh, I got into a little bit on Twitter earlier before the show about time to throw stats. Um, that makes a difference because then you're able to let those routes develop more and allow guys like Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton in particular, really likes those kind of long winding routes that uh, develop and he does really well in them. Yeah, no. And uh, it, it, it's just crazy how like as much as you want to, and we talked about this before the show also, Rich, we could sit here and talk about almost every single bad thing that happened in that game. But as we get into the, the Mahai mountain here, Rich, it, it, it's just, it, it's kind of, it was kind of hard to try to find like the positives and, you know, just trying to find kind of put away all the negative stuff that happened and try to be like, okay, well, even though ABC happened at least, you know, one, two, and maybe three, you know, <laughs> so. I have two positives. If you, if you like to hear them. Sure. I, I, like I said, I have a lot of notes here, so I can just pick from them. Um, so, um, I, I want to make a comment. I saw Weatherly jump out on on from the game for me uh, again, yet they played him less, which boggled my mind. Uh, Weatherly really and truly did exactly what Mundungus and I were talking about, particularly Mundungus who brought it up on the on the pod, and I do want to give credit there where credit's due. I, I just happen to agree with exactly what he said, so <laughs> yes, um, which is – Weatherly not only rush, rushes the passer really well from the edge, I am super impressed with the angry aviator. Yes, that's going to stick as a name. And uh, But he also, he also contains. So he holds his lane to keep that gap discipline in the run game as well. So uh, for a guy like Jalen Hurts, as an example, what you saw from Malik Reed is Weatherly forced his way to keep in his lane and hold that. And then with Weatherly was on, Hertz couldn't bounce to the outside on Weatherly's side because he was basically in his way, right? Mm-hmm. When you saw Reed in there, Reed couldn't get around, so he cut in, and then Hertz was able to just round right around, end around him basically, and then get a, an open run lane because Reed had to cut inside. Uh, so I would say Weatherly again jumped out at me for just discipline. He was awesome. I I, I love that pickup. That was a phenomenal pickup. And then uh, the other one is Quinn Miners. I mean, if you really want to look at a, a legit positive, I mean, there's a third. I mean, Javante, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, blew the doors off and 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 really kind of showed that he's uh, he's a special kind of running back, and and we, we should be very pleased that we picked him up in the draft. Uh, but I mean, Quinn Miners as an offensive guard, especially when we've seen Reisner struggle and Glasgow get kind of be a bit of a, a revolving door because he's always hurt. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's either on the bench or he's off the bench and he gets hurt again. He goes back on the bench. So I think it's super important that we end up with a guard like Miners on our team who is really showing out and proves that he should be a starter on our team. He is that good. And more importantly, he has proven to be scheme versatile. He's been able to act as a pulling guard and in, and in block properly in motion. But he has also shown that he can play in the power run game and the power game, which is what uh, Shermer likes to kind of run there a little bit more out of the three wide sets and Quinn is perfect for that. And that, that exactly in in terms of what I said earlier, miners exemplifies why it's so important to have players that fit the scheme that you're running and miners fits the scheme that Shermer is running. So you put them in there and you leave them there Mm -hmm. full stop. 
And those are my three positives. And I think they, I think they were all worth mentioning. And, you know, given how we played, uh, let's at least hold on to those so that we don't go insane. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Rich, and I think that makes a nice segue into the state, one of the staples of this show, which is the Mahai Mountain. Mountain. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> I never get tired of seeing that. <laughs> I, I I could do with a double yodel in there. Uh, I, I just um, I, I love the double yodel. Hey, shout out to the boss for you know. Yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> his creative his creative juices are always flowing at yeah. all times of the day. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, you know, Rich, and you and I were kind of comparing notes in terms of uh, our Mahai Mountains, and they might be somewhat similar as we go into the into this segment. So I'll let you go first, my friend. Sure. So, like I said, I got I got my notes um, <laughs> uh, always organized and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, on uh, on the summit, I have Quinn Miners. I think it's no secret based on my previous comments. There, uh, I have been super impressed with Quinn. Uh, his ability to be uh, scheme versatile, uh, show the ability to to block in in both styles that we we're playing as a as an offense. Uh, he is atop the summit for me, especially in the game against the Eagles, because uh, you know from a team that really really struggled, he was a very very bright spot, and it was clear that he he was probably either the best player or or very close to the best player on that uh, on that uh, pitch there for us. Uh, on the climb for me, I had Tim Patrick. Now this one here, I could have gone with like one or two other guys. I, I opted to go with Tim because I really thought Tim, um, he did some dirty work in that game, and a lot of that kind of stuff gets overlooked for wide receivers. Uh, Tim Patrick had a few key blocks on the edges uh, in some of the run plays uh, where he was on the edges, and I really think that that gets overlooked by so many people. And he also had a few really really solid catches, which he you know. He's Tim Patrick. I, I I think I only seen I've only seen him drop the ball I think once in two years. So uh, that's awesome. And then at base camp I have Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I just thought that he didn't have a good game. He missed wide open receivers. Uh, he did not go deep down the field. Uh, so I had Teddy Bridgewater in my base camp. And last but not least, this might surprise some people because I've been very very. Um, I defended him a lot, actually. I have Vic Fangio and uh, Ed Donatel in my uh, on my on my on the plate ride home. Uh, I just felt that our defensive game plan we did not change up what we needed to do in order to match and beat uh, the Eagles. We kept on getting beat using the same players on the field, particularly on the interior defensive line. We saw our interior defensive line change up and actually substitute more with more of the bigger guys in there, where we saw. Uh, Harris, uh, Stevens, and uh, Williams in there all at the same time where we saw some bigger sets in the interior defensive line. I wanted to see more of that kind of mixing up of the interior. We did not see that. And I saw a lot. uh, I was re-watching parts of the game earlier before the show. Uh, I was seeing both Shelby Harris and Draymond Jones both uh, getting held off by a single Eagles interior offensive lineman with one arm. So we were all making comments how Moody was able to do that with some of the guys on uh, some of the uh, opposing uh, interior defensive linemen that we were up against before. We were seeing that with 
uh, are two other interior guys, and those are my my high mountain picks. Very well, my friend. Well, uh, this is one of the rare occasions, Rich, where you and I have the exact same pick at the top of the mountain because Quid Miners was also my top pick for the summit. I mean, this this man just seems to be getting better and better by the the week. So hopefully, this bye week doesn't take away any momentum he's been building up since he took over. For Glasgow, and he and he only continues to get better. Uh, on the rise, uh, climbing up the summit, I have Justin Simmons. Justin Simmons had an interception in this game, and there were a couple of plays where he looked like he may have gotten uh, had the best of him, but I don't think that it, it was anything terrible. You know, so I, I think that Justin Simmons, once you let Simmons be on his own and have the cornerbacks do what they're supposed to do instead of always having to drop him to come in, you know, for support, then Justin Simmons can be really, really dangerous in doing what he does. And at the bottom of the summit, it's a tie between uh, uh, Melvin Gordon and uh, Teddy Bridgewater for me. Even though Melvin Gordon did have the only score for the Broncos, you cannot, you cannot fumble the ball. On, especially on fourth down and one. I mean, the Broncos had the conversion. All Melvin Gordon had to do was just head straight down. Ball security has always been his Achilles heel. And, you know, not only did he drop the ball or fumble the ball, the, the defense got the ball back and they ran it back. And then, of course, as we've been talking for like the last, uh, I don't know, half hour or so, you know, the whole thing with Bridgewater just kind of just stepping aside and letting uh, Darius Slay run the ball back. And to me, that was a really, really bad play because that literally was what took the momentum away from the Broncos. The Broncos were in the running of it up until that point, but after they fell behind two scores, then it became three scores, and then when the game just became unreachable, it was just, you know, it, it was just, it was like another day in the office for Fangio. And of course, the summit on the plane ride home. Uh, Vic Fangio is going to have to do it for me. I know me and you talked about earlier. I did want to put Mike Shula in that uh, on that plane ride home. But at the same time, I, I after thinking about it before we went live on the air, it was his first game as the offensive coordinator. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Broncos move ahead with him going forward when they come back from their break against the Chargers. But I don't really think that's going to happen. I think that the reins are going to be, be given back to Shermer once he clears a, a COVID-19 protocol. But one thing's for sure on that front, Rich, the answer for, you know, the next offensive coordinator in Denver is not at home or in-house. I'm not willing to quite go that far yet. So where I'd like to see is we've – so Shula – in fact, I, I believe Mundungus and I went into this a little bit, uh, actually, in terms of uh, on uh, the Broncos talk in which you were absent for. Um, last week, and we went into this a little bit. Uh, Shula and Shermer are very, very similar offensively. They have a similar scheme. They have a sim- similar approach, uh, ex- you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where you start getting into deviation from that is uh, Munchak. Munchak is is far more in the same vein or similar vein to uh, someone like Scangarello in, in terms of style and, and whatnot. So from my perspective – if we are collectively as a Broncos A organization and B fan base looking at this saying, all right, Shula ain't it, Shermer ain't it, <laughs> then from my perspective, you 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 nix them both and, and send them packing. 
and you say, if we believe that we can, and this bye week would potentially be the week where you'd want to do something like that, because then you would have a guy like Munchak being able to have an extended period of time to game plan and, and, and put stuff together, install maybe a package or two to help the transition over to what his style is going to be. And we can see where we can go from there. Ultimately, I, in my opinion, from what I can see from our offensive line and from our quarterbacks, uh, they would probably both do far better under a Munchak style offense and a Rick Scangarello style offense uh, than a Shermer one. You know, as I have read articles, as a matter of fact, that also agree with that statement, Rich, where they feel that right now is the time to get rid of uh, Shermer and if you want to go as far as Mike Shula as well. But we have to remember that those coaches, at least in my personal opinion, they seem to be protected by Vic Fangio. So, you know, well, Vic I would Fangio, say they're protected by Elway and maybe even Peyton, but I wouldn't say Peyton as much. Elway, I would because they were here during the Elway regime. So, and George Peyton, while, you know, in his first year, I know he stepped on a couple of of toes and he's still kind of walking on eggshells in terms of the whole Von Miller trade situation. But I really don't see them losing their jobs unless the Broncos really hit some type of slump. And I mean like a really terrible slump against the chargers. Like they get shut out or, you know, Bridgewater throws for like four interceptions. I mean, something bad has to really happen where George Payton or even Vic Fangio would have no choice, but to turn around and say, Hey, you know, our, our season is in real jeopardy and, you know, we've given you time and it's not working out. And then, you know, drastic measures would probably cost Pat Shermer his job. And I don't really know if bringing in Mike Shula would be the answer to fix that. I would, I would give, I would give uh, a chance to uh, Mike Munchak to see what he, what he can do because, you know, he has been a head coach in his career, but the question is, would, a turnaround of that short amount of time be enough for Munchak to kind of turn that offense around and say, Hey, look, uh, we're going to make it through the playoffs of what we got. It, it, and I'm in agreement with you. If, if change needs to ha- is going to happen, it needs to happen now. It needs to happen before uh, week 12 uh, when the Broncos go see the chargers. Yeah, in, in my opinion, what, what I think we need to do is we need to install elements of a Munchak offense to add into our playbook. And and what you do with that is you basically leverage this this extended time that you have during the bye to allow the players to learn new schemes because what's clear to me right now when I'm watching this is we're getting beat using the schemes that we're using right now. So you take this time, you install some new schemes, probably from the Munchak uh, offense style where you'd end up with like the pulling guards and, and more motion type stuff. And you install a couple sets like that to kind of just get it going. And then if come, you know, early in the game against the Chargers, um, sh- uh, sorry, uh, Shermer is basically being Shermer and isn't looking very good then I think you start bringing in the Munchak plays um, two, three or four of them that we, that we've kind of learned, if you will, over this uh, bye week more into play as well as the pulling guards, which by the way is also a hallmark of a, of a Munchak offense. 
is the pulling guards that we're seeing more and more, not more and more, but that we're starting to see starting a, against Dallas. So if we start seeing that more kind of creep onto the field, I have a funny feeling we're going to see a bit of an uh, of a different offense uh, for the Denver Broncos because Reisner will start to look better. He won't be getting pushed back as often because he's doing what he's good at, which is blocking in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Miners is is versatile, so he can do either. <laughs> so that's that's great. <laughs> um, basically, my point is is that you have to scheme and put on the field something that is that is fitting of your players' strengths. Right now, I believe that our offensive coordinator says, be damned with what your strengths are. This is what I want to run. Now go do it. And that is the wrong approach. If you want to go in that approach, that is totally fine. But then that is on your GM, and that is going back to John Elway, to draft accordingly. And we did not draft for a Shermer style offense. We drafted for a Scangarello style offense and the two are not the same and they're looking for different skill sets. Right. Well, one thing we have to keep in mind, Rich, and it's something that a lot of people are, I would say overlooking, excuse me, is the fact that the pressure is on George Payton as general manager at the very half of the season to see what he's going to do. Because bringing in Teddy Bridgewater was one of his uh, assignments. It wasn't something that, you know, Vic Fangio or anybody else on the uh, offense wanted to do. This was a guy that he wanted to bring in because he felt that his veteranship and leadership would take the Broncos to the next level, you know, into into, into the Super Bowl. So right now, all eyes are on him to try to see how he can fix it. Because obviously Vic Fangio's defense, which for the last two years was kind of was always the staple in you know holding the team together when the offense was playing like crap it's not working out so we can't count on the Vic Fangio defense because they're 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 not playing up to par the Pat Shermer slash um uh Mike Shula offense isn't really working up to par or in Shermer's case it's kind of like one really great game and then two three really bad ones and we're getting to the point of the season, Rich, where we can't, we don't have a safety net anymore. We can't afford to keep losing games like some of these other teams that have only lost one, two, three, maybe even four. You know, so with every single loss that comes towards the Broncos' way, it's going to hurt their chances to mathematically make the postseason. And if the Broncos don't make the postseason, that's going to look bad, really bad on everybody. And then heads should roll come right. the end of the season. Right. Well, in fairness, we've seen Mike Purcell regress. Okay. I I think that's a fair comment to make. He has regressed substantially from where he was before. And a staple in a Vic Fangio defense is uh, pressure in the middle of the field uh, that kind of helps contain the quarterback. Truly helps contain uh, the quarterback. And um, I, I also agree uh well well I, I I understand that there's been some that are saying one thing and others another um that uh, Teddy was a Fangio and Shermer decision um I I'm gonna say it's possible that it was a Fangio and Shermer decision to name the starting quarterback yeah I believe that um, as well however uh I have to imagine that George Payton's relationships uh played a pretty big role 
in in bringing him here mm-hmm. and and I have to also imagine that Elway um even though Locke was a, a draft pick of his um I could see Elway getting really pissed off with what happened with that whole COVID thing where, where Drew Lock tried to like hide the fact that he wasn't wearing the, uh, the proximity bracelet. Mm-hmm. I could see something like that rubbing a guy like Elway the wrong way. Um, I think Elway is okay with off-field discretions, but I think that someone like uh, – <laughs> I, uh, I think someone like Elway who is pretty conservative generally speaking – um, would certainly see what uh, Drew Locke did as a bridge too far. Um, now, w- when we look at what uh, moving forward with our, our offense, um, I'd like to get some comments in here. Um, based on what we've seen this season, uh, what would you guys like to see more of? Uh, we've seen offensive styles where we have uh, run heavily. That would be uh, like Dallas Cowboys, for example, where we actually decided to not abandon the run. Yay. Um, and then we've seen other games uh, earlier and midseason where we lost a kind of a few there to the Ravens and the Steelers and whatnot, where we were more pass happy and less run uh, intensive. So I'm very curious to see uh, what would you all like to see us uh, play? We like to see us more uh, run centric, uh, heavier sets, maybe more tight ends on the field in terms of extra blocking and, and whatnot. Or would you like to see us uh, try to lean more on the three wide sets and and find a way of making those work uh, through some more creative play calling, which may in fact mean, as you and I were talking about earlier, uh, moving on from uh, one or both of the uh, quasi-offensive coordinators in uh, Shermer and Shula. Yeah. Uh, Let's just see what people think. Yeah. And, you know, as we head into this bye week, Rich, I think that the Broncos – not only do they need to study and burn the tape afterwards of this Philadelphia game, but they, they they just need to they need to find an answer. You know, they need to find an identity because the schedule for them is only going to get harder as we go forward. You know, we still have to play the Chargers twice. We still have to play the Chiefs twice, and the Chiefs seem to have found a second wind. Uh, we have a rematch with the the Raiders, who we've already lost the game to. Plus, we still have to take. Well, the Bengals don't really scare as much anymore and the lions well the lions are the lions and i forget who the other game is against uh but uh, either way it's this team is far from you know being able to say safely that you know they'll be a a, a wild card team or a playoff team their work is cut out for them and they just basically need to find what works best for them like you said are they going to be a a running team are they going to be a throwing team are they you know what type of identity or team do they want to be going forward and just basically uh teddy bridgewater has to win the locker room back because he from this game he's lost them and for how long he's lost them is a whole different thing so hopefully he can find a way to kind of you know win the team back and say you know okay i messed up here uh, you know, let's let's just kind of be the Bridgewater that we, you know, fell over with from week one to week three. You know, that's the guy we want back. Sure. So I, I just want to bring in uh, Jay Bryan, uh, 7861's comment here. I know two things I'd like not to see. Eight-yard pass on third and 10, a draw handoff up the middle on second and 12. Uh, so I agree with the second, the draw handoff. No dice <laughs> on second and 12. And 
what I'm going to push back a little bit on is the eight yard pass on third and 10. There is some analytics. I was reading up on this because I've seen this comment a couple times and I've seen this on Twitter a few times. And I myself was wondering, that seems silly. You've not got the first down because you're throwing short of the sticks. That makes no sense whatsoever. The interesting thing is the analytics show that typically speaking, if you, uh, well, this is for other teams, obviously not the Broncos, but generally speaking across the league, when you throw just a yard or two shy of the sticks on third down, uh, when you're looking to try and gain that yardage uh, with a proper scheme, which Shermer obviously doesn't have, um, you're more likely than not to actually get that third down conversion. So there is some analytics behind going in that direction. The problem is you need a proper scheme in order to make those analytics work. And uh, obviously uh, a Shermer uh, led offense uh, does not lead to success in that situation as we've seen so much this year. Um, and then uh, we've had a couple other comments here uh, to the you know, open-ended question that I released to the group uh, earlier. Uh, love to see more running the ball. I agree. Uh, Gordon up the middle. Uh, I'm going to add a caveat to that comment personally. Uh, again, open to people saying that I am wrong. Gordon has a propensity to hold the ball with one hand when he is going up the middle in really critical and really crucial situations. I would really love to see, uh, again, I brought this up on the on Broncos talk last week. I would really, really love to see uh, Demaria Crockett uh, come in as a bigger, stronger back, similar to Gordon, maybe with not quite as good hands in terms of the passing game, but certainly capable I would love to see a guy like Demaria Crockett come in uh, who has shown that he hasn't really fumbled like Gordon is known to in those critical situations. We've seen him do it twice now. Javante Williams has done it once. So maybe we give Javante Williams another go at it. But ultimately speaking, at the end of the day, Gordon has done well in normal situations. However, when the game is on the line or the really important situations – Gordon has uh, certainly shown a uh, just that propensity to play fast and loose with, um, you know, holding the ball with two hands and holding it close to his body and, and protecting that football. Yeah, and I totally agree. And then uh, my cousin coming in here saying, when your opponent has the better quarterback, you should be concerned talking about the Bengals. Now, if you were talking about the Bengals that started the season, I'd be in total agreement with you. But the Bengals seem to be on a bit of a – of a down of a downslide uh uh they, they looked and, so good earlier in the season and i mean they looked just almost unbeatable yeah and that's my point if we were going up against those bengals i totally agree with you like i would i wouldn't think that the broncos would have no chance but when that team goes out and got and lost to the jets the way that they did it's kind of like you know i'm not saying that the broncos are going to steamroll the bengals I'm just saying that the Broncos have a chance of beating the Bengals if that's the team that shows up to play that day. So you know? you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, there's a chance. <laughs> uh, but then again, there's a chance that we could see the Cincinnati Bengals that stomped out the Ravens, you know? Right. So, I mean, anything can happen. But then again, we'll have to see which quarterback will show up to play that day for either team, you, you know, knock on wood, hopefully. And, yeah, like the boss says, that's what we said about the Eagles. Right. And – you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more there, boss. And it almost seems like maybe we jinxed ourselves in, you know, bringing that up. And <laughs> I, I can't find any other words to say, like, 
I, I mean, I, I could I couldn't imagine being a fan uh, there on Sunday because there were there it wasn't like a sea of green out there, but you could see green jerseys out there, and I'm pretty sure sure that the uh, Eagles fans were more than ecstatic letting the Broncos fans know. You and I spoke about this earlier before we came into the pod, though. I I said this before we we, literally just before we went live is we had a game plan against the Cowboys to force the Cowboys to try to play to us. We came into the Eagles game with a game plan where we were trying to play to the Eagles on what seemed to be actually on both sides of the ball. Our Mm -hmm. offensive game plan, we completely abandoned those heavy like pass pro uh, flanking tight ends, the the bigger guys on the field to really push the Eagles around. We completely went away from that. Just think of what some of those runs could have been if we had the flanking tight ends and really threw guys around. I mean, some of those runs could have been just wicked dangerous. And and then on the defensive side of the ball, we again deviated from what worked against the Cowboys, which was changing out some of the lighter interior defensive linemen. I'm going to call out a name. I know it's not popular within Broncos country, but Draymond Jones is a lighter interior defensive lineman who in many schemes would be seen as better suited in a 4-3 defense instead of a Mm 3-4. And he has had a few successful plays. He had a a kind of a pressure or not quite a sack, but certainly a pressure uh, against uh, Hertz in this game. But aside from that, he has genuinely struggled overall, seemingly looks like he's getting a little bit better. So, you know, that's that's good to see, but he's still struggling with getting pressure. Same with Shelby Harris. Shelby Harris has struggled with getting that interior push in the middle of the field and forcing guys like Hertz to come off their first read. And that's going to force a guy like that to struggle. So yes, you need to mix things up. You need to play your football and force the other team to try to play to you. Now, if you start going down by 20 or 15 or 13 or something, then that's a different story. You need to try and find a different game plan. But we didn't even attempt to do that. We came in with a completely different game plan, kept on falling behind, and never changed. Yeah. So as we get towards the end of the show, Rich, heading into the bye week, what do you feel the Broncos need to do to try to make a comeback? What changes, aside from firing the coaches, which we've already talked about. What changes do you think that the Broncos as a whole need to make in terms of trying to get ready for the Chargers? Um, I think I think we need to revisit our offensive scheme and game plan. I think we need to go back to what worked for us versus the Cowboys. I think we need to go back to what worked for us um, in the preseason and in the games that we won, which was more 12 personnel, less 11 personnel. And I do agree with Dave. I, I actually think that if we go in, in a different scheme, um, Drew Locke, or I even suggested on Twitter the other day that I would be completely open to uh, Brett Rippon coming in because this coming off season is going to be I actually think this is going to be the most turmoil the Broncos have have seen in years. Uh, We're going to end up with eventually some form of decision on ownership, which is going to be huge. That could, that could mean one of several things. Uh, You know, I'm not going to go into them now, but it could be one of several things. So that'll be super interesting for us as Broncos fans. And um, I, I think we need to change up some of the defensive players. 
I think Purcell needs to come off the field. Um, Fuller showed that uh, he is good in rotation, but not good as a full-time starter, and we should not be relying on him. And I absolutely agree with Mundungus here. Uh, the angry aviator needs to be our starter. Full stop, period. On the edge. Because we saw what worked the game prior in the Cowboys, and that was uh, the angry aviator on one side and Jonathan Cooper on the other. Uh, I totally agree with you there, Rich. I I I just think that the Broncos just need to reload. Uh, we need Bradley Chubb back out on that field. Hopefully, he should be more than good to go uh, by week. The what is it? Uh, I keep saying eleven, but no, it's twelve. So we need him out there. You know, and while Malik Reed hasn't been the best, he's been he hasn't been the worst. So, no, he, uh, he, a lot of his pressures and sacks have come from coverages as opposed to him beating his man. Jonathan Cooper's pressures and Weatherly's pressures actually against Dallas came from actually beating their their their, their man on, on, on the other side. So I'm, I'm going to kind of push back just a little bit on that. Um I did want to bring up Dave uh, Dave Glassman's comment here. Dave, super, I really, really appreciate you uh, joining us uh, this evening. Um, while I would rather see Rippon than Teddy, he doesn't bring anything new to the table. I'm going to disagree with that. Uh, I actually think that Rippon showed uh, in that one start that he had that he brings the acumen uh, of a Teddy Bridgewater and a little bit of youth that Teddy Bridgewater does not have. And I think that is something new to the table. There is a large part of me that is wondering if Teddy Bridgewater's issues are a direct result of the fact that he is basically 60 years old out there because he's had so many hits. He holds onto the ball so long, and he has done most of his career. And as a result, even this season, we've seen it already, where he has been hit hard, missed time, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, we've seen what's happened, right? So I would argue that Brett brings a lot of the same things to the table that Teddy does. Uh, he is a cerebral quarterback. He reads defense as well. And I think he has a reasonable arm, not a great arm, just like Teddy, a reasonable arm, not a great arm. However, Brett is young and he's not hurt. And I actually have a funny feeling that bringing in a guy who is, we'll call him Teddy-esque in terms of the way he plays Maybe something that we might need to do and should do at the end of the day. Like I said, we're going to go into probably a turmoil state at the end of the season. We should see, like we should see what we have in all three quarterbacks looking ahead to next season, because we need to know who we keep, who we don't. I think we know that Drew's probably gone. Then the question is, do we bring back Teddy or do we maybe just keep ripping and then bring in a new quarterback and then keep ripping as that QB two? Well, I, I'm unfortunately going to have to agree with Dave on this one. I don't think that Rippon is the answer. Rippon would be the guy that's like, okay, the season's gone to crap. It's not – the Broncos aren't making the playoffs. You know, let's see what we got out of him. But, unfortunately, Rippon is still quarterback number three. So, he would have to find a way to get past Drew Locke in order for that to happen. Uh, so and, – and, you know, not to take anything away from Brett. Brett has had his highlights, especially when he took over in that Jets game last year but you also have to remember he had three really really bad interceptions in that game so uh while he does have his ups he has his downs and i don't think that brett rippon is the guy who you would hand the keys over and say you know take us to you know the playoffs and further he's a great he, he's a 
I'm pretty sure he's a good guy to have in like in a pinch if you're you starting you quarterback goes down. Yeah, and he's probably <laughs> hey, Bree, how you doing? Uh, nice to see you, Bree. Thanks for joining us. But I, I mean, he could be the guy who you know makes the quarterback two position next season. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But just basically, kind of just re, uh, you know, backtrack and you know bring in the point. Um, the Broncos were supposed to go into this bye week with momentum that they've built up the last two weeks, and you know they could have swept the NFC East, but unfortunately that that didn't happen. So, as much as <laughs> as much as we want to sit here and pout and complain, we have to keep our fingers crossed and hope that those that are hurting heal. And when we go back to work next week that the Broncos come back even hungrier, they come back even better, that the coaching staff kind of finds a way to play better because the losses, they cannot keep mounting up. They can't keep happening. The excuses can't keep coming back and saying, you know, pointing fingers, it's whose fault, it's my fault. It just, this this team is so much better than their record states, Rich. They're just so much better. And we hear it all the time. certainly have the talent on the roster. I, I yeah. absolutely agree with you. Uh, just pulling up Bree's comment here. Uh, I, Bree, I really appreciate you coming in and, and joining us, uh, take, taking the time. Uh, you're more than welcome to come and get loud on, on Broncos Talk whenever you would like. Uh, please reach out and we'll get you scheduled in. I, I'd love to hear. I mean, I followed a bunch of your pods already, so I, I'm happy to uh, have you come in and, and give your insights and, and, and get loud and, and likely disagree with me a fair amount, and that is perfectly fine. I, I absolutely love uh going back and forth about football and our denver broncos no i totally agree brie you know you always have a you're always welcome here on the mhrt network it's always a pleasure to have you when you have the time uh but just to kind of you know bring the point back home rich it's it, it, the broncos are still in this even though they're fourth in the division i, I think i could have sworn i seen them in fourth tie for third tied for third okay which is on we'll call it honorary fourth how's that honorary fourth yeah so if the if this coming week while the broncos are off if the chiefs the raiders and the chargers could find it in their hearts to lose i would think that would be some very extra just that would bring some enthusiasm in terms of you know especially with the game the our, our game coming back is against the chargers and they could absolutely take this division back and not only take it back rich but you know keep that lead thank you and and earn a spot in the playoffs so just keep in mind guys the the broncos are not out of this they're far out of this yet yes the loss to the eagles sucks it's terrible but it's we're going we're going into the second half of the season all the mistakes that the broncos have made they kind of have to sit down and work around them try to find the answer and so far the answer starts with the quarterback the quarterback play needs to be better the uh the the defense the the coverages they need to be better the players running those coverages they need to play better because as we saw against uh the, you know Devontae Smith he he ate us up for two touchdowns rich and if i'm not mistaken the broncos defense i think is the only team that has given up two touchdown plays to a rookie wide receiver so far this year at least i th- i think that's right i don't know i have to go back and check my notes but i could have sworn that's how it was but either way there, there was no way that you know Devonte Smith, as good as a run a wide receiver was in college, that he should have been able to get that open, and you know even worse for uh, Jalen Hurts to have that much time in the pocket to make those type of throws. 
the one thing I'm going to add to your your list of things <laughs> is um, I, I, I've been pretty consistent on this. I, I've uh, spoken with uh, Nick Kendall of uh, Mile High Huddle, amongst mm -hmm. others, uh, Andrew Mason and Albright and a whole bunch of other folks. Uh, we really need interior defensive line pressure. Uh, we are not getting it. And we, we got the edges where we were able to get some contain and seal on those edges when we were playing Dallas. We completely moved away from that. And we need to get that interior defensive line pressure. So I'd like to see better interior in the dead center of the defense play. So if that means Purcell rise the bench a little bit more because he's not playing up to par, so be it. If that means that Draymond Jones or Shelby Harris, who have been pushed around with one arm by the Eagles offensive lineman in this last game, uh, get less playing time. Okay. Put other guys in there and mix it. I'm not even saying take them out and, and have them ride the bench. What mm -hmm. I'm saying is mix up the rotations. If what's not, if what you have out there is not working, change it. Just like on offense, if what your offense, what you're doing on offense right now is not working, change it. Not hard, pretty simple. As a fan, I'm already looking at it and looking at what you're doing as an offensive coordinator. I have my notes here. All of our really big run plays came from the 12 personnel sets against the Eagles. I'm willing to bet that that's because the Eagles are a pretty large offensive line. I know that as a fan because I actually read numbers and I watched film <laughs> crazy. And I looked at the Eagles defensive line and said, they're a big bunch of guys and our offensive line are a bunch of backups. So if you want to protect your backups, force the runs, force the passes, give extra protection, then you run bigger sets. Instead, we ran less tight end sets against the Eagles who are a larger defensive line than the Cowboys and we got spanked. We literally we got spanked. Mm -hmm. No, and you're totally right. I don't disagree. And that's an issue that the Broncos have had ever since the Malik Jackson left because Malik Jackson was one of those big guys in the interior middle. And while the while the Broncos have had great pass rushers in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and uh, I don't know, can you say Shane Ray? Maybe Shane Ray is a bit of a stretch, but. Uh, uh, you know, I just feel that going into, uh, I don't know if you want to say free agency or maybe even the draft, since the Broncos seem to have good picks, they need to beef up that interior defensive line because they do. That's what made Denver's outside pass rushers elite. You know, you, you made every offensive line that you ran against struggle and, you know, decide, are you going to block the inside guys or are you going to block the outside guys? And with Von Miller no longer being a Bronco, you don't want to give teams – you don't want to make that decision easier for a lot of other teams that come into Denver or when you go visit them at their home. So, unfortunately, the, the trade deadline was over and uh, George Payton did have time to make a, a – you know, a, for a trade for a, not the best inside defensive lineman per se, but maybe a decent one. So – and uh, you don't really want to bring in anybody off of free agency because I don't feel there is anybody that – is well, I'm a, I'm a street free agent. Um, I, I would make a fantastic tight end inside linebacker. I can play both because I played rugby, which is both offense and defense. 
So George <laughs> Payton can give me a shout anytime. I, I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm sure that I could work something out at work where I could kind of practice and play and work at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I, you can go ahead and give me a call. Uh, well, hopefully some uh, one of the NFL scouts is listening. And yeah, you can call uh, me the crazed Canuck. How's that? <laughs> All right, guys. Unfortunately, that's going to have to do it for our show tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining us in the chat. Bree, Jay, Brian, uh, the boss, Mundungus, Dave Glassman, as always, and anybody else who I may have missed. Uh, Avatar, thank you guys so much for joining us. And let me just remind you guys that if you enjoyed today's uh, conversation and you enjoyed the show in general, make sure you tune in every single Tuesday with myself and at Richie Richie at 7654 every single Tuesday. You can catch us live. And on Thursday, we have the flagship show, which is the MHRT podcast with myself, the boss Mundungus, the Glenn Doogie Hauser, and of course, Mr. Boggins himself. And then on Fridays, we have the Nothing Rhymes with podcast with our good friends, John and Isaac. Uh, Johnny and Isaiah, which also airs at 7654. And then, of course, we have the new pod, uh, a pregame show, which is The Neighborhood, which airs every single time, uh, just a few hours before every single Broncos game. And I will reiterate that there will not be a pregame show since the Broncos are on a bye week. But we will be back next week with all new shows for you. So make sure you hit that thumbs up button, subscribe, so you get live notifications wherever you're watching us on social media so you never miss out on any of our content so rich before we go you know we have to do everybody's favorite part of the show which is the mile high five rich are you ready i'm good to go all right here we go Mile high five <laughs> Woo! i almost missed my slap there <laughs> did you hit the ceiling Oh, I almost hit my life. That's <laughs> how long my arms are. Oh, God, thank you much so much. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you all next time. Hasta luego. Go Bronco.